Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're here to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and many more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on environmental justice. How do environmental issues disproportionately affect different parts of our society? Why is this? How does this fact negatively affect and impact people and the planet? Now, deprived groups may experience different access to things such as green spaces and associated services, which may also be detrimental to their well-being. In some cases, these deprived groups are also exposed to environmental risk, while they are also disproportionately more vulnerable to the effects of these risks. Social justice now aims to give individuals and groups fair treatment and an impartial share of social, environmental, and economic benefits. And this concept promotes the fair distribution of advantages and disadvantages within a society, irrespective of one's background and status. Environmental justice deals very explicitly with the distribution of environmental benefits and burdens that people experience at home, at work, or where they learn, play, and spend their leisure time. Environmental benefits include attractive and extensive green space, clean air and water, and investment in pollution abatement and landscape improvement. There are many, many environmental burdens, most of which we're going to talk about this month, but they include risk and hazards from things such as industrial and transport-generated and municipal pollution. But both social and environmental justice work are sensitive to power issues. That is, who causes the pollution, who suffers from the pollution, and it focuses on communities or groups, rather perhaps than individuals. So today we're going to explore this and unpack it, and all this month we will be exploring this subject. But today, here to help us explore and unpack some of these issues surrounding environmental justice and social equity, first up, is Diana Lopez, and she is with the Climate Justice Alliance and the Southwest Workers Union. Diana is a member of the Climate Justice Alliance, and she's currently director at Southwest Workers Union, which is a grassroots organization of workers, families, and youth united in one struggle for workers' rights, environmental justice, and community empowerment, and she is located and headquartered in San Antonio. The Southwest Workers Union's goal is to build multi-generational grassroots power to create sustainable systemic change and to build a movement for dignity and justice. Her work at 
SWU involves linking issues around environmental justice, living wage, and community accountable governance. Diana received the 2009 Brower Youth Award from Earth Island Institute and the Urban Renewal Award for Community Organizing and Food Sovereignty. She serves on the coordinating committee of Grassroots Global Justice Alliance and South by Southwest Experiment. Welcome, Diana. We are so honored and fortunate that you could join us today. Thank you for having me here and for uplifting a lot of these issues that we're facing right now. We're very excited about all this month. We've got some exciting, but also challenging and very broad topics to talk about. Mm. Now, Diana, since this, again, is our first show in this month's series on environmental justice and social equity, I want to begin by discussing definitions of what these terms mean. Because mm -hmm. I've found in my life that, in all the work that I've done, that for many terms that are especially those related to hot cultural or social issues and terms that are being widely used or discussed in our public arena, that most often people do have a general sense of what is meant by the terms that they hear, but most often people attach very different meanings to them. You know, if you line up five people and ask them what environmental justice and social equity mean, those five people, you might get 20 definitions. Talk to us a little bit, Diana, about what you mean when you use these terms or when you refer to the terms environmental justice and social equity. Of course. So when we talk about anything related to justice, we understand that there's an injustice that has happened. Um, and so um, the term environmental racism really comes out of an understanding that communities um, were also affected by pollution um, back in the 80s. Um, and many of these communities were low-income communities of color, black and brown communities, immigrant communities, um, uh, communities that didn't speak uh, the, the predominant language and therefore um, were basically li li living and being affected by, um, by the pollution that was surrounding them. Um, when we talk about um, environmental racism, we also take in the, mul the, the, the cumulative effects of these multiple sources of pollution. So we're not only talking about, um, say, a, a factory. In, in my case, I'm going to use my example, um, an, an Air Force base. Um, we um, uh, put pollution related to, to aircraft and cleaning of aircraft in the groundwater. But we're also talking about the cumulative effects of not having access to, to clinics to go to or not having access to health care, um, good, good, good educational facilities, grocery stores, things like this. And so all of these uh, accumulate, you know, in the same way that toxins accumulate in our body, right? All these different things accumulate. And when we talk about environmental justice specifically, we talk about um, access to healthy food. Those are some of the solutions, access to, to uh, transportation, um, access to um, clean air, clean water, um, and really access to a safe place to live, work, play, pray, um, and in general, a community to live in. And each community has their own solution um, so that their justice looks whatever that community needs the most. It's always different what justice is. But it's interesting 
what you brought up about the environmental effects and the impacts that you all have from some of your Air Force bases. It's interesting you mentioned that because a lot of this could be unintended consequences or perhaps the result of not planning with the people around you and who are going to be affected. And maybe they couldn't time. Because I do know that generally speaking, military bases or any federal installation mm-hmm. or institution is generally seen as a good thing or a positive thing for a community because it brings jobs, it brings revenues to that community. But in your case, and I'm just now thinking about it, how you all are getting the environmental impacts there. Yes, exactly. And, and a lot of this, um, because it was a federal facility, it was difficult to really understand what was under your own home, what was across the fence. And so that's when it, our, our version of environmental justice, you know, comes into play with being able to understand and be part of planning, be part of solutions, be part of cleanup and what that looks like. It's what we call now legacy pollution, pollution that happened many, many years ago. Um, and sometimes we're just finding out about it or it's just been exposed. Yeah, a lot of times we just did not know. Okay, now let's move back, though, to the big question. In your experience, how do environmental issues disproportionately affect different parts of our society? Why is this? And how does the fact that that exists impact the rest of the people and the planet? Yes, and that's definitely where we get into the details around equity. And so um, when we talk about um, people being um, this, uh, proportionally affected the most, it's it's because of the cumulative effect yeah. of of these different sources that people are living around, and and we're realizing now as as more research goes into it, more studies specifically looking at race, at class, and how environment is really affecting them, then it begins to expose all these different um, in, inequities and the and the realities that many communities of color. Um, weren't getting the same investments in terms of infrastructure, in terms of education, in, in terms of access, uh, access to the good things um, as, as other communities. We have been with Diana Lopez from the Climate Justice Alliance, and we will be right back to hear more interesting information from her right after the break. We want to give a shout out to our sponsors now. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, and interactive experiences. For EarthX, Earth Day is every day. So joining the movement, keep in touch, and add to the conversation at EarthX League, where you can also find and participate in many of the monthly conferences on various environmental subjects that they're having. So go to earthx.org to register and to start talking. Natural Awakenings, Dallas, Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for North Texas. Issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, and sunflower shops, as well as many, many other places across the five-county region and online at nadallas.com, where you can read or download. Check them out. Thank you, sponsors. Healthy Planet Radio. And we're here today, again, talking about environmental issues that affect certain parts of our society in a different way. And we have been talking with 
Diana Lopez with the Climate Justice Alliance and the Southwest Workers Union here in sunny San Antonio. <laughs> Thank you and welcome back, Diana. You mentioned something in the middle of your conversation that I wanted to call attention to, and that was you said something about a Robin Hood Act in Texas. Is that a specific act or how you describe certain activities? No, that's that's real. <laughs> um, and it was specifically around ed educational systems and um, certain neighborhoods with more wealth created their own educational system, which meant that, that taxes weren't um, spread throughout a, a unified school district, but were just used within a certain neighborhood, basically um, closing off um, equal access to, to any type of wealth or funds um, for communities that were lower income. And I remember that. So that is not allowed now, though, is it? That's not allowed, but but San Antonio to this day has 15 different school districts, um, and that still, it, in a way, systemically con continues to happen. Have you seen systems or constructs like that around environmental issues and impacts? It's definitely when, when we really dig into systemic racism and we dig into sort of why um, certain communities are affected the most. We find historical realities um, that for one way or another excluded communities, whether that was because they only spoke Spanish and meetings were only in English or because they didn't have access to meeting spaces or um, simply because um, people didn't think their voice was important. And so we, we see that as a reality of why of why voices have been left out of certain plans. Um, and our work around climate justice is, that, is actually really able to, to look at this whole frame to move into um, dismantling a, a lot of spaces and working towards creating those, those inclusive spaces and understanding that the voices of everybody is important to address climate change issues. And you use that word again, climate justice, and of course, you yourself and the organizations that you belong to have been doing some extremely impressive work with regards to climate justice. So will you define for our listeners what that term climate justice means and why it's important and why everyone should care about it? Because that's my personal hardware issue is that so many people feel that a lot of these issues around environmental justice and social equity, oh, I don't have to worry about that. It does not affect me. We are all inextricably connected. And I think people understand that when they hear that. But I found that you have to frame things for people. And as we say a lot on this show, connect the dots. So would you do that for us? Connect the dots of what this is, how it affects people, but why everyone must care. Mm-hmm. Climate justice as a term has transformed uh, throughout the past probably 10 years. Um, and it's now um, been seen as not simply just working to right um, climate change, but the reality that, that there is a, a deeper, um, there are um, de deeper social inequities that need to be addressed before we can even solve climate change, right? And so, um, if we simply just focus on climate, on energy, on things that create um, climate change, then we're only um, solving the causes and not actually the root of what 
of, of what started it all, right, of, of why we're here in the first place. And so climate justice has seen um, as like a movement of movements that's brought in um, specifically talking about labor, um, the, the transition of labor um, from, you know, oil-based labor to, to uh, labor based on, on different types of practices. It, it talks about the inclusion of Black lives. It talks about the inclusion of indigenous rights as, as a central key. And it really talks about, um, is uh, really moving towards like a rights-based framework um, that is not only trying to basically stop the bad, but also build the good, right? Because we can't stop the bad and simply, um, you know, uh, are in a position of, of not having uh, many spaces that, that we need to rely on for our basic necessities, but we need to also focus and build the good spaces, the cooperatives, the alternative economies, the, 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 the alternative forms of, of electricity. And so all these different things kind of encompass environmental justice, but in, to bring it all back together, climate justice is the sister of environmental justice. And it comes out of that movement with the reality that communities of color, low income need to be part of that process as well. Um, and so um, it's rooted um, within many of those legacy organizations that first work to build those rights of communities and kind of the reality that, that um, the same people that are living with legacy pollution are also the ones most affected um, when climate disasters happen, um, are also the ones most affected by heat waves, um, are also the ones most affected um, and, and dying at a disproportionate rate than other communities um, because they're, 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 they've been the victims of different sources of these forms of contamination. Can you give a specific example from A to Z again so people can understand and actually connect the dots? Of course. For example, <laughs> my community is what I know, um, but from Kelly Air Force Base um, is now Port San Antonio. Um, that military base transitioned into the one of the largest inland ports in the United States, um, transporting oil and gas material. So now we're faced with a completely different type and source of pollution, but still have no, no solutions happening from our community or no transition. So when we talk about just transition, um, we are talking about moving um, towards a better community than what we had before. And so climate justice and environmental justice um, are linked in that sense of really um, overarchingly trying to build and move towards a framework that changes the structure so that we're not continuing to fall in that same cycle of pollution and contamination and illness. Exactly. Now, to help people understand, though, what is the impact on people's health and quality of life and who is being affected. Of course, there was a recent study that, that San Antonio did on, on life expectancy and communities that were living around Kelly Air Force Base um, not only had what, some of the highest rates of liver cancer, but also had some of the lowest um, living expe expectancies um, from the city. And so now we see that, that, that these are are continuing to affect people in terms of, of high rates of cancer, high rates of asthma in children. You have um, 
in terms of water pollution, the groundwater is completely put polluted and, and the local creekways are polluted um, in, ter in terms of, and including derailments from, um, from uh, railroad tracks and, and different 18-wheelers. Um, you have those things not only affecting the environment, but also uh, disproportionately affecting the community that has to live with it every single day. How can you see this fact that this is happening and this exists how do you see that impacting the broader community and the environment? Water flows. Yes. <laughs> air, air is air, right? And so the when we're told that this doesn't affect um, our neighbors isn't real because it's in our environment and we're uh, primarily affected by our environment that we live in. It and doesn't so, stop at the front door, does it? <laughs> exactly. And and that's the reality. The it's not only not in our backyard, but not in anybody's yard. Um and so um the reality that that right now we are being affected by this work, but it doesn't mean that um if somebody loses their job, especially right now that we're facing um this this um economic struggles, you know, we're all having to understand and face some of these um, this some, some of these effects and the causes of a system that isn't quite functioning or meeting our basic needs. Exactly, it affects us all. I think that's the point: is to get everybody to understand. Just because it's not knocking at my door, it affects us all. The other thing I see too is many times the studies that are showing all these significant impacts were really done just around the area. I have to wonder if they took those and did another study that expanded those areas out maybe 10 or 20 miles, what would they find? Mm -hmm. I have to think they would find some impact there as well. But I think perhaps maybe those are some of the things too that are necessary to get people to realize and internalize it affects us all. Last thing, Diana, before we have to go is what do you see ordinary people can do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions to the environmental justice and climate justice and social equity issues that exist in our society that are affecting us all? I think pri <laughs> primarily it's really being able to, to understand the context um, of your city, of why certain things are happening and really understanding how things are connected. So searching out your your local grassroots groups, pe people who are doing climate justice work, and really understanding and digging into some some of the frameworks around just transition of we're not only trying to you know close down you know um, dirty energy or anything like that, uh, but we're trying to actually change to create a different system so that we're able to meet and have a healthier community. Thank you so much, Diana. You have made us smarter as you relate to environmental justice and climate justice and really helped us to understand this a little bit more. We hope to have you back at a later, later date. We have been with Diana Lopez with the Climate Justice Alliance and the Southwest Workers Union. Thank you. We're going to go to break and after that we will resume with part two of our show where we talk about these issues from the health and public health perspective. Thank you. We'll be right back. back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We're back with the second part of our show 
on environmental justice and social equity, impacts and consequences. And now we're going to talk about it all from the health and public health perspective. The environmental factors can lead to disease and health disparities when the places where people live, work, learn, and play, and pray are burdened by social inequities. These social inequities, often referred to as social determinants of health, include differences in individual behaviors, cultural influences, access to health services, economic status, and literacy levels. And this was taken from the National Institute of Environmental and Health Sciences mission. And they are our major national and I think international public health. They have a whole unit or institute devoted to the environmental health sciences. And here today to help us explore and understand environmental justice and social equity, as well as the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences work is Dr. John Balbus from that organization. John Balbus is an MD and he serves as a senior advisor to the director on public health issues and as the National Institute of Environmental and Health Sciences liaison to its external constituencies, stakeholders, and advocacy groups. He's also leads the NIEHS efforts on climate change and human health. In his capacity, he serves as the Health and Human Services Principal to the U.S. Global Change Research Program. Dr. Balbus's background combines training and experience in clinical medicine with expertise in epidemiology, toxicology, and transportation-related air pollution, the toxic effects of chemicals, and regulatory approaches to protecting susceptible subpopulations, or I like to say vulnerable communities. Before joining the NIEHS, Dr. Balbus was chief health scientist for the NGO Environmental Defense Fund. He served on the faculty of the George Washington University, where he was founding director of the Center for Risk Science and Public Health. A wealth of experience, and welcome back to our show, Dr. Balbus. We're so glad that you could come and talk with us again on this subject. Well, very happy to be back for a very important conversation. Thanks. Thank you. Dr. Balbus, since this is our first show in this month's series, and we have five whole shows this month, it's the first show in our series on environmental justice and social equity. It's like our primer show, if you will. So I want to begin by asking you the same question that I asked our first guest, and that is to talk about the meaning of the terms environmental justice and social equity. What they mean to you as you've experienced them or as you know them in your work in public health? Well, thanks for that question. Um, you know, in terms of an, a straight definition, I feel like uh, as a federal employee, I go with where the EPA has landed on this definition. Their definition has been adapted by the Department of Health and Human Services. It's very close to what your previous guest was just talking about. And it, it defines environmental justice in terms of both fair treatment fair treatment under the laws, fair enforcement, equal enforcement of regulations, but also meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, uh, in the, the development, the implementation, and the enforcement of those laws. I think that, you know, in this summer of COVID, in this summer of a 
you know, a reawakening, a reemphasis on, on, on racial justice. I think there's, there's also just increasing understanding of the long, deep, and painful legacy of inequity in this country and how that has played into the um, disparities in those social determinants of which environment is just one. Uh, you know, environmental exposures and pollution, that's just one of many social determinants that are unequally distributed based on on people's, um, you know, where people live and where people live is also determined in, 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 to too great a degree by color of skin, by, by poverty and by other factors outside of people's control. Thank you for that. And I've looked at that and we have tried to use that definition as well in terms of some of the definitions and titles of our shows. But I did want to ask, because I found, again, that many terms that are related or that are there out on the public discourse stage right now, again, they have different meanings to different people, which can very often inhibit people's understanding of an issue. Let's move back now to the big question, and that is, in your experience, how do environmental issues disproportionately affect different parts of our society? Why is this, and and how does this fact impact the rest of the people and the planet? Sure. You know, I, I think that what this conversation and, and, and our recognition is taking us to is, is to look very, very far upstream at the root causes of what we see all the way downstream as disparities in health. So when we look at CDC data, we see that life expectancy is different based on race. We see that rates of asthma are different based on race. We see that rates of hypertension are much higher in blacks than in whites uh, and, and also in Hispanics. We see that um, rates of certain cancers are higher. So there are many downstream health effects and the, 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 the near-term causes of those are, are many. Some of them may be you know, what we call lifestyle choices, but you know, the word lifestyle is a term that implies that people all have equal choices, but we know that's not the case. When it comes to diet, people with greater wealth have a, a, a much easier access to, to healthier foods than people on a low-income scale. So, so even those lifestyle choices that ultimately may lead to problems like diabetes, obesity, hypertension, have an upstream driver in terms of access to food. But then again, that access to food has an upstream driver in terms of racial discrimination, in terms of where businesses are put, in terms of where people are allowed to live. And some of that has historical legacy that goes back many decades, many generations. How does climate change impact? How does it, when you drop climate change into there? Sure. So, you know, we like... I, I like to want, really go upstream and think about root causes. And at the same right. time, sometimes I like to split things up. So when we think about why people are disproportionately impacted by climate change or any other exposure, even COVID, it's sometimes helpful to think of it in terms of three different things. One is, are people disproportionately exposed either because of where they live, where they play, where they work, as you say? You know, the, the place that people are in the wrong place and they're in the wrong place, not because they wanted to be in the wrong place, but because there are social factors putting them in harm's way, whether that's in a floodplain, whether that's at a fence line of a, of a military base or other industrial facility where they get exposed, whether that's right next to a highway. The second thing is, given 
disproportionate exposure or any exposure to a harmful environmental pollutant? Are there things that make people more sensitive, more likely to get a bad health impact from a given amount of exposure? So, for example, we know that things, you know, in the, in the, in the case of COVID, we know that people who um, have chronic conditions like obesity or hypertension are much, much more likely to have a severe course of COVID to end up in the hospital on a respirator or even dying. Um, they're more sensitive given an exposure to COVID. Same thing with air pollution. People with diabetes, people with um, asthma for certain kinds of air pollution are going to be more vulnerable. So if those disparities already exist, in a community, and then there's an additional kind of harm put in their way, whether that's air pollution or a heat wave or a hurricane related to climate change or wildfire smoke. Those people, it's not just that they're in the wrong place, it's also that they have physiologically in there, you know, they've been, you know, because of a mul multiple upstream factors, they're more vulnerable, they're more sensitive to the effects of that. And then the third thing and, and this comes from, you know, the thinking about climate change adaptation. So, so there's being exposed more, there's being more sensitive to the exposure. And then the third thing is, gets called adaptive capacity. But from a health standpoint, sometimes that involves access to good health care. Um, and so there are many barriers placed in people's way to accessing health care, to accessing the COVID test, to accessing basic primary care, to accessing basic prenatal care. So that's one of the ways that we think about it. And those things hold true, whether we're talking about, you know, somebody who is, um, you know, in a disaster situation and can't get access to their, you know, care for their chronic condition, or somebody who, uh, you know, is uh, exposed to air pollution and has respiratory problems and can't get access to good care for that. Well, Dr. Babos, we're going to go to break now, and we will continue this very interesting conversation right after. We've been with Dr. John Balbus with the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. We'll be right back on the other side. And we want to give a shout-out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festivals, and interactive experiences. For EarthX, Earth Day is every day. So join the movement, keep in touch, and add to the conversation at EarthX League as well as participate in the monthly conferences. Go to their site, earthx.org, to register and start talking. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for North Texas. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods stores, natural grocers, Central Market, Sunflower Shops, as well as many other physical locations, as well as online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Thank you, sponsor. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. With our show on environmental justice and social equity impact and consequences, and we have been talking to Dr. John Balbus from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, and he's just making us all much smarter. Thank you, Dr. Balbus. Thank you. You were talking about some of the particulars of the health challenges that are caused by environmental issues and how they're caused. 
what would you say, Dr. Balbus, are the two most pervasive environmental or environmental justice issues that have negative impacts on our health? And then tell us, walk our listeners through how that happens, connect the dots for them. Ah, well, it's sometimes hard to rank, but let me give you two examples that I, think opinion, yes. that, that, that I think really kind of illustrate the compounding of, of, of all these factors. And the first one would be transportation-related air pollution. And that can take the form of people living, you know, in urban areas near highways, or it can take the form of people living um, in ports as well. Uh, there's been a lot of studies about the, you know, the diesel truck traffic around ports and how people who live there um, are disproportionately affected by that. Now, the first question is, you know, why would somebody want to live next to a highway? And as we know, people don't have that choice. And we know that highways in most cities were imposed on neighborhoods. They were run through neighborhoods, you know, displacing some people and putting other people right next to, to harm's way. So, so there's a whole social construct as to why people are put in that place. Uh, and then, you know, we know that, that the air pollution levels and the type of air pollution right next to a highway can be much worse than even the exposures two, three blocks away. Um, and then if you have a community there that is disadvantaged, that is in a food desert, that doesn't have good opportunities for physical activity, for example, in part because a highway has been run through their neighborhood, um, you know, the, the overall quality of health in that community is not going to be as high. And we see this. We see this in the zip codes. People are going to have high blood pressure, obesity, asthma, et cetera, which then compounds the effects of that air pollution. So, so that, that's one example. You know, the other example, I think, is what we are seeing play out uh, in slow motion with climate change. And that has to do with um, the impacts related to uh, a variety of climate impacts on, on people in low-lying coastal areas. And this starts in northwestern Alaska with um, indigenous Inuit populations. It goes to places like the bayous of Louisiana or the low-lying coastal islands of South Carolina, where generations of, of people of color have lived for hundreds of years, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, in a relatively stable environment. Um, it goes to the Sundarbans of northeastern uh, India and, and, and then Bengal and Bangladesh, where um, you are seeing, uh, in the cases of the warmer places, just straight old sea level rise uh, and increasing severity of storms so that the land that people have lived on that had always been, you know, they've been able to continue staying there is getting increasingly encroached upon by, by sea level rise and storm surge. Um, Sometimes that's leading to contamination of drinking water supplies with salt water, with hypertension and preeclampsia being seen in places like India. Um, you know, in, in northwestern Alaska, it takes another form where the loss of the sea ice in the fall leads to storms just basically eroding the coastline where people have lived for hundreds of years. And now the houses are falling into the ocean and dozens of these communities have to be re relocated with tremendous impacts on loss of cultural identity, on food supplies, uh, on, on the whole way of life. Uh, and so cascading health effects with, with a lot of psychological stress. So, um, you know, why did people end up in those places too? I mean, some of that is our, our, our indigenous choices. Some of those are, are just people end up in low-lying areas 
because uh, of, of poverty, those places are, are places that are less expensive to live, and so they're forced there by poverty. So it's that compounding exposure, sensitivity, and then lack of adaptive capacity that puts people at risk. But from what I'm hearing and seeing, Dr. Valvis, from some of our other experts, because we actually talked about transportation for a month, I believe in June, and we talked about food last month. And it's interesting, each and every month on our particular subject, we do hear from some of our experts that vulnerable populations are the most affected. But the other thing that I'm seeing, as someone once told me, these issues are coming for everyone. For example, you talked about low-lying coastal areas. I'm an ex-South Floridian. In South Florida, the people who enjoy the coast are primarily the wealthy among us. And the coastal areas in South Florida are beginning to be impacted. Like on Miami Beach, which is this ritzy place and all the people flock down there, they can now have street flooding and an inch or two of water on the streets and there is no rain. So I can truly see in that particular thing, it's coming for all of us. You know, it's moving beyond the vulnerable population. And when we talk in June about transportation, I also learned of some other ways it's coming for you too. Uh, for example, at schools, when you look at a school in typical non-COVID times, you can typically see at any school, especially lower level schools, when I say lower level, lower level grades. You see a lot of cars idling, dropping off kids, producing that pollution. And then I remember another expert mentioned too that for people who work, you may be deep down into a suburb, but when you go out to work, you're on the major highways and that spew of particulates and whatever coming from the cars and the trucks is coming to get you too. So I am seeing or hearing, and I think experts are seeing too, while the vulnerable populations are the most affected, and as Diana said, they are being affected by that cumulative effect or systemic effect. It's coming for all of us. And again, that's one of the purposes for our show, trying to show people why they should care and, and how it impacts all of us. Now, I want to talk though a little bit about something that you mentioned briefly before the break, and that is how the environmental inequities, of course, do not just pertain to physical health, uh, but they, they, they expand to many others. So can you talk again a little bit more uh, on spanning effects? Well, you know, the point that everybody is at risk, but some are more likely to have bad impacts from it is something that we have um, stated real clearly in our national climate assessments um, since since we've been involved in them. That's the first chapter is everybody's at risk. And the, the second chapter or the, the fourth part of that chapter is is who is really more likely to, to suffer suffer the ill effects. I mean, I think there are a couple of examples where we see the role of racial um, discrimination and social injustice um, leading to worse outcomes from very similar situations. I was really struck by an article that I saw uh, about um, about Harris County, Texas, which is we know is near Houston. It's been devastated by flooding. Harris County has invested a tremendous amount of money into uh, flood infrastructure to mitigate the flooding and reduce it. Um, and this was an article that was saying that after years of basing decisions on who gets that infrastructure to reduce the risk of flooding, um, 
and basing it on the return on investment so that they would invest in infrastructure where it would save the highest value property, um, they decided to instead try to prioritize the investment uh, uh, in, 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 in risk reduction to, to those who were most likely to have a bad outcome. If you base it on the most valuable property, that has inherent discrimination because for decades and decades there have been discriminatory practices so that there were racial imbalances in who had the highest value property. Um, and so this was, this was an attempt to not just treat everybody equally, but actually to achieve justice, to, to try to undo a legacy. Um, and you know, the article was about how difficult this was. Um, so there's one example, right? So, so, so you have the same flood hit Houston, but if there's a neighborhood that was able to get the tax dollars to pay for, you know, the, the stormwater catchment and the, and the flood drainage, they are under less stress. They don't have to move out. They don't have the mold in their house in the same way. There's a cascade of impacts that, that are less for them. Second, real quick example. I know I'm talking a little too long, but there's been a lot of study of what happened after Hurricane Katrina. And I show a slide sometimes of what's called the Katrina diaspora, which is the people who had to leave and never came back. And there are a, there are a lot of data that show that um, those impacts led to long-term psychological problems, um, post-traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, that those impacts were not equally felt uh, according to poverty or racial lines. And not only, as you say, it's, it's not just the people who had to move who are suffering those consequences. But this is an issue that also impacts the receiving communities as people, you know, need to be accommodated. They need access to care. Um, you know, sometimes people are moving into small rural communities. We're seeing this with the Katrina diaspora. There have been stories about this with people who are relocated from the Marshall Islands uh, who, who end up in the United States and have health issues as well. Something that's been exposed, I think, and perhaps making a difference with, we found from COVID, is the fact that, you know, what they call these essential workers, that we must be concerned because we have to have them. Yes. Well. <laughs> we pretty much have to have them. So that's, you know, because that's my whole thing is why is getting people to understand why should they care about these issues that they do not perceive affect them. Well, it does affect the vulnerable, and we have to have the vulnerable in order for our society to chug along. Thank you so much, Dr. Balbus. We really appreciate your help. We, you have given us very much to think about. You've been with us before, and I pray that you will be with us again in the future. Thank you so much. Have a great Thank day. you for the kind words, you too. Thank you. And thank you for listening today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Thank you, and join us again next week for more on environmental justice and social equity. Thank you, listeners. <laughs>